This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 18. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, December 8th, 2021, as of the recording of this show, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. And I'm joined today by a very special guest, Chris Seiper of Citizens Defense Research. Hello, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Very well, very well. We are so glad to have you on the show with, with us here today. Been looking forward to doing this with you for a while. Uh, we, we had you scheduled, I think, last week, and, and then life got crazy and busy and had to reschedule. And so here we are. Yep. It's good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, good. it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Very good. Very good. Uh, folks, we got a really, I think, awesome discussion we're going to have today with Chris. Uh, Chris is a very uh, intelligent, well-spoken individual, and uh, yeah, you, you you could turn your head like that, but uh, I've talked with you before, and I feel like you could run circles around me. So, uh, we'll, so I think we're going to have a good time. We'll, we'll see. That's bold talk. <laughs> Look, folks, uh, Chris is actually going to be our next upcoming Guardian Nation live event guest, uh, which is a week from today, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So it'll be 8 p.m. Chris's time. And uh, really excited to have you back for that as well, Chris, where uh, we get to just interact. Uh, it'll be you, myself, and my business partner, Jacob, and uh, our Guardian Nation members viewing remotely from all around the country or perhaps world, although I think they're probably all U.S.-based, and uh, be able to ask questions to you uh, uh, through our Q&A panel, and it'll be a good time. Lots lots will be learned, I am sure. So folks, I uh, just wanted to highlight that and make sure you knew that next week, a week from today at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we'll have Chris on the Guardian Nation live broadcast for the month of December. Uh, you do need to be a Guardian Nation member to be a part of that. Um, all you got to do is go to GuardianNation.com, learn more, get signed up, and uh, we'd love to have you a part of the, the, the nation, I guess. So we will uh, see you back here next week. Today, uh, I actually want to acknowledge that Chris, uh, you're retired uh, United States Army Special Forces Green Beret soldier. Uh, you work with Citizens Defense Research. As I just learned a moment ago, you substitute teach at high school, junior high, middle school, I guess wherever you're needed, yeah. which is pretty cool. Uh, and you also have a really cool blog, by the way, amplifiedbeing.com that folks, if you want to just like read some really awesome, uh, down to earth, but thought provoking content, I'd encourage you to check out Chris's blog at amplifiedbeing.com and anything else, Chris, you want to say, you feel free to, to plug, plug away. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty close to everything. As I was telling you uh, before we started, I, I, Spent, yeah, I spent 20 years in the United States Army, the majority of that time in U.S. Army Special Forces. And uh, since retiring, uh, I traded one all-consuming job in for a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of part-time work uh, that, that stacks up and keeps me busy. I also, I also write uh, the occasional article. I've written a couple articles for uh, uh, Concealment Magazine, which is uh, you know concealment from, from recoil. Uh, I've actually got their, their newest quarterly issue coming out. I've got another piece in uh, concealment. I still do some de de Department of Defense contracting uh, and consulting with my old organization. 
And otherwise, I think you covered everything. But yeah, I'm just trying to stay busy, but have a flexible schedule to hang out with the kiddos and and uh, spend time with uh, the family and whatnot. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, in fact, talking about your work with Citizens Defense Research, uh, which I mean, you've got a uh, class coming up this weekend. So, is, is that full, or are there still spots available? Or nope, nope. We've got uh, we've got spots for both. I will be so so at uh, at Big Tech's Ordinances new facility in Conroe, Texas. If you go to if you go to CitizensDefenseResearch dot com uh, or uh, Citizens Defense Research's Eventbrite page, you can find our upcoming classes. I'm teaching my MAPS Mental Agility Planning and Preparation Skills uh, seminar on Friday, which is an, basically an eight-hour all-classroom seminar. You don't need any ammo or anything else. You show up with something right with, something right on. And we talk through the mental process of self-preservation, uh, both planning and preparation, how to inculcate mental agility, and kind of the, the mental aspect, the mental component that often gets overlooked as we, as we focus on having fun and running the gun. And then... Um, Although I may or may not be there for the remainder of the weekend, uh, John Johnson, my partner, is teaching uh, uh, the Armed Parent Guardian Saturday and Sunday. We still actually have a, a couple of spots for that as well. Uh, so if you want to jump on our Eventbrite page tonight and secure yourself a slot, they're they're available. We'd love to see you there. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, I Citizens Defense Research has been on my radar for for a good while now, and I'm I'm frequently on the Eventbrite page where uh, you you handle your signups. Uh, you know, keep an eye out for, for things on the horizon in terms of schedule. And like, I'm, I'm based here close to Denver, Colorado. And I, I see April 30th, May 1st, Denver, Colorado contextual handgun. I'm like, sweet. I want to jump in on that. And then I realize I'm teaching a class myself that weekend. <laughs> so yet yep. again, I will, I will have to look at some of the other dates and locations across the country and, and uh, hopefully be able to fit one somewhere in the schedule and, maybe make a trip out somewhere sometime. I was just in Texas this last weekend or, or I would uh, consider heading down there this weekend. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the curse of an instructor is when you're trying to carve time out. Cause any good instructor is, you know, you know, takes, takes time to take classes on their own. And, and one of the challenges is uh, particularly like, you know, I've got all my different side, uh, side hustles and, you know, my work citizen defense research is kind of my, my primary focus. But yeah, it's just carving out time to make, make time for your own training. And you'll say, Ooh, I want to take that class. And then, Nope, Nope. I'm teaching a class or, just as important, that's my one weekend free in a six week period where like I'm going to take my toddler to a monster truck rally yep. or, or whatever. And so, yeah, yep. that's always tough. Yep. So true. So true. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, balance in life is super important. Being a good father, being a good husband, all that. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had a way too busy fall this year and uh, it got challenging to make sure I was taking care of those other responsibilities as well. So um, we kind of just jumped into some random things there, but at least folks now know where they can find you and, and some upcoming training. If you're in the Conroe, Texas area, guys uh, and gals, uh, you might consider, especially after you hear our conversation here today, you might want to try to jump in this training this weekend with Chris and his team at uh, Citizens Defense Research. Um, <clears throat> and I'm super excited one day to check out that BTO range myself. Uh, yep. Ike and the crew there, they're awesome people. And I, I'm excited to see what they've got going on with their new range facility. So, Chris, um, you, you've kind of given a little bit of a, a of an introduction of who you are. Um, you know, obviously, as a, as a, as a retired Army Special Forces, uh, in fact, you are a medic, was actually your your primary job, right? So, um, 
I, I just kind of want to learn a little bit more about you and your background and kind of how you got to where you are today. I think it would be interesting for our listeners to hear as well. I mean, you and I have talked somewhat too, but uh, but I think this this would all be relevant information. Uh, so what made you want to join the U.S. Army? Uh, so interestingly enough, uh, so I've got a history of service in my family. I was actually just telling you, I was substituting for a high school shop class today and we had some free time and, and some of the kids were picking my brain. It was first time meeting some of them. And, uh, and I explained that, you know, I, I joined the army, not intending on being a lifer, uh, but I did intend, intend on joining the army, uh, from a, actually a fairly, fairly young age. Um, it was something that I'd, I'd always wanted to do. Uh, my grandfather served in the United States army in World War II and he was, uh, very much one of my iconic role models for masculinity. And uh, so I was going to do my, you know, do my three or four years uh, and then get out and go to college and just, you know, kind of check the box of service to my country. Uh, but I, I graduated high school and joined the army a year before 9-11, which was mm-hmm. good or bad timing to join the army, depending on what you wanted to get out of it. Sure. Um, and then I, I found that, uh, you know, as we kind of just deployment after deployment after deployment, uh, I was temperamentally well-suited and pretty decent at that kind of thing. And so I just sort of kept at it uh, and just kept doing it and, you know, found my way into, uh, to, to us army special forces, went through selection. And when you go through selection, you get selected. They say, yes, we think you may have what it takes to be a a green beret. And you get to, there's a, there's wish lists of, I want this group. I want this language. I want this job. And you kind of, sometimes you get what you want. Sometimes you don't. I didn't ask to be a medic. Uh, I was, I was made to be a medic based on some things in my, uh, I guess my psychological profile. And so every, the, the way special forces works is, is everybody probably remembers the the TV show, the A team, uh, which is what they called them back in, uh, back in the day. Uh, Vietnam era and after now they call them ODAs, operational attachment alphas. Well, a team is you got like a team leader, an assistant team leader, a team sergeant, and and uh, but what you you've basically got four entry level jobs. You've got weapons guys who um, are basically experts on the operation and repair of weapons. Then you've got uh, engineers who basically blow stuff, build stuff up, and, and blow stuff up. Uh, and then communications guys and medics. And everybody's a green beret. Everybody's a shooter first. Uh, and their primary job is to basically just be a you know ninja, no kung fu. Uh, but then beyond that, everybody's trained in a specialty, and then everybody cross trains their teammates. Where like I, you know, I would make sure my teammates were really well trained medically. So specifically, if I get hit, they're really good at taking care of me. Uh, and so that was um, something that I enjoyed doing. I had a passion for. I had a passion for the guys. Basically, if I'm going to be in the army and I'm going to go in harm's way, I want to work with the best. Uh, and and I really like. I don't miss the army. Now that I'm retired, but I do miss the guys. And anytime I get a chance to interact with or stay in touch with my old teammates and so forth, uh, I love it. So, yeah, I, I started basically out of a sense of duty, and I kept doing it because uh, I was, you know, I was I was good at it and I liked it. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's good to be good at something, and uh, it's good to like what you do. Uh, yeah, and it's I think it's also good when uh, that profession uh, carries a, an honorable purpose with it too. So. Uh, you know, I, I remember having that conversation with you a few months ago when we were at the Active Self Protection uh, National Conference about how you, you didn't choose being a medic, didn't particularly want to be a medic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it chose you. Um, what, what words of advice would you have for folks that uh, maybe find themselves in a similar position? And uh, like, how can one? What's the word? How can one uh, excel at something that? 
maybe is not their ultimate passion, but, uh, you know, it's still something that's important to do. Well, um, you know, I think that's a, I think it's an incredibly valid question. And, and fortunately, um, there's <laughs> special forces is full of, full of, uh, guys like me who love, love being, love being on a team. Uh, but they may not like, for example, uh, combo guys, communications guys, 18, 18 echoes are notorious for, uh, communications is a very frustrating field. Um, and so they're notorious for like combo drives and crazy, but they still, you know, you ask them like, Hey, would you rather do something else? Like, no, I'm going to do this because one, I think that you've got to, uh, you've got to keep in front of yourself and keep maintain perspective. Like, you know, there's four primary entry level jobs in special forces and I'm doing one that was like second or third on my wish list out of four. But at the end of the day, like, Hey man, you get to like, you go overseas and you get to rock a beard and all this cool kit uh, and do important stuff. And you get a lot of latitude. You know, we, we obviously get a lot of uh, a latitude and trust placed in us uh, that you don't necessarily get in other, other parts of the military, which is incredibly rewarding. Uh, and it taught me a lot. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, you know, let's, if somebody dreamed of being an NFL quarterback, but then somebody was like, Hey, you know what? We're not going to draft you as a quarterback, uh, but we are going to, uh, we'd like to convert you to tight end. Here's your big fat paycheck to be an NFL tight end. Like, sure. You still get to play in the NFL. It's pretty yep, awesome. Yep. <laughs> but the, the other thing too, especially as it relates to medicine, is like, I don't have a passion. I don't like have a love for, for medicine um, in the way that I do some of the operational aspects of, of special forces. But that being said, how important is it? I love my teammates. Uh, and, and it's my job to ultimately be the one to uh, make sure that, that they're healthy and safe and stay alive. And then again, it's, it's in my best interest to cross-train them as best I can so that they can take care of me if I get hit. And so I think on the one hand, you've got to keep things in perspective and realize how lucky you are to be doing anything, even if it's not exactly precisely what you want to be doing. Uh, and then secondarily, look at how much good you can do and shoulder it as a duty. You know, somebody smarter than me with a better uh, better insight into what makes a good special forces medic looked at me and said, no, 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 you're not going to be an engineer and play with demolitions, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, you're going to be a medic. And then years later, when I found out kind of the criteria they were looking for, it actually, it made sense. It was it was the right choice. There, there was <laughs> logic in the system. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are uh, excellent things to consider. Um, let's see. You know. You mentioned, uh, obviously, a little bit about your military background. Uh, you did that for, what, 20-some-odd years? 20 years even. 20 years even. Right on, right on. Get that full uh, retirement package. That's that's a good good milestone to hit. Yep. Um, but before you actually got out of the Army, you began work with Citizens Defense Research. And I was curious how you got tied up with John and Melody and Citizens Defense Research and kind of like how that came to be. And, and, and also now, why is that the kind of the next logical step for you in, in uh, you know, teaching citizens uh, personal defense and concealed carry? Sure. So um, now I, I formally, I basically like kind of when I signed out of the army, I, I formally started my relationship teaching with citizens defense research. I met John mm -hmm. and Melody. Uh, you know, I, I joke that, uh, Social media is the devil, and it's going to be the end of all of us. But there, there, it does do tremendous good. And I, I met John and Melody amongst a, another in the in the firearms and training community, and was impressed by them uh, on a personal level. Uh, my my discussions with them, 
I basically came away realizing that these were thoughtful, thoughtful folks pr- providing great service to um, civilians uh, and citizens. And the reason the reason I noticed that uh, is because there is there's various um, types of you know, training companies and trainers out there. And like, for example, there's a ton of former soft guys who will basically they'll get out and they'll train law enforcement, train SWAT, or they'll run, you know, they'll run like carbine courses. And, and I'm not throwing stones. I'm actually probably going to start offering a a carbine course here in 2020, uh, 2022. Wow. That sounds weird to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in 2022, I'm going to, I'm probably going to be offering a carbine course as well. But a lot of, a lot of these classes are basically like insurance salesman from Omaha and a, you know, and a housewife from, uh, you know, Des Moines or whatever will show up and put on a plate carrier, grab a carbine and they're running and gunning and, you know, doing shoot house stuff. And a lot of it's like, okay, you know, multi-team, multi-room clearing for the random citizen. Like that's fun. And as long as you're, as long as you're being safe about it, I have no issue with that. Um, but I'm primarily looking at the practical aspects of, of education and trying to take the, the average citizen uh, and help, help teach them um, techniques, uh, tactics, ways of problem solving that are actually applicable to their day-to-day life. Um, and it's not just, I mean, we want it to be fun, but, but not just fun. We want it to be fun and applicable. And, and John and Melody, I think we're very much doing that. You know, their flagship course they're, they're best known for uh, is the Armed Parent Guardian, which is specifically solving gun problems when you've got you know, an infant and a baby carrier, and you're getting in your car at the you know Walmart parking lot, or you've got a toddler on your hip, or a six-year-old whose hand you're holding, and then somebody steps out between two cars. Uh, there are some considerations there that don't get discussed, and they had basically identified something that like largely wasn't wasn't uh, talked about in the industry, and, and that really impressed me. And so, I after taking uh, the I'd taken John's test and standards a couple of times as a student of his. And then I'd uh, taken the arm parent guardian from them and I was sufficiently uh, impressed with them that when they asked me if I was interested in joining them, I, I jumped at the chance because I think that they're, they're looking at the, the correct methodology of backwards planning problem solving for the average citizen, which is to say, identify what the end state is, what are we trying to achieve? And then we're plan- planning back from there instead of just saying, Hey, we're going to run a tactical fantasy camp because it's fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why are you teach, or why are you passionate now about teaching citizens, uh, you know, p- things of personal defense or, or your maps class, for instance, like, uh, I mean, what, what, what made you want to be a teacher? Not only, not only partake of training for yourself in your new role as as a retired guy, just trying to take care of your family and kids. Uh, but why teach and particularly citizens? Um, so excellent question. Uh, so stepping back into my, uh, into my, my former life, my former career, one of the, I don't, I don't say lesser known cause it depends, but, but a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there's different types of special operations, you know, Navy SEALs and, uh, you know, Air Force PJs and CCTs and Marine Raiders and, and various various types of soft. Uh, so, U.S. Army Special Forces specifically, Green Berets. Uh, we are primarily teachers. Um, that you know, we just came up on the, the 20 year anniversary of 9/11, which you know would have been really nice if we could have concluded Afghanistan a little more neatly. But uh, mm-hmm. if anybody remembers the guys on horseback who linked up with the Northern Alliance, uh, those were Green Berets. They're actually Green Berets from my old unit, the Special Forces Group. Uh, uh, great guys. Know some of those dudes. 
but instead of sending 50,000, 100,000 United States Army soldiers that, you know, it takes a year to build up and everything else, they put uh, literally 300 Green Berets on the ground who linked up with the Northern Alliance and helped train them, advise them, fought alongside them. And you basically get what we call an economy of force. Uh, and our kind of our job as Green Berets, uh, when I was a Green Beret, was generally speaking, we help partners, uh, partner nations achieve um, whatever it is we, you know, it serves America's best interests without having to commit, you know, divisions upon divisions of, of American troops. So we might go overseas and, tr and teach the counter-terror forces of a given country so that they can handle their ter internal terrorism problem rather than us, you know, having to, to weigh in and do so. Um, and so I saw firsthand the impact um, that good teachers could have on the world. Like when, when you see a unit that you've trained go out and, and successfully conduct a counter-terror operation where they stop a terror attack and roll up big terrorist bad guys, and you know that you had a hand in that, mm -hmm. um, so people are alive because of what you did, I got to tell you, that's a great feeling. Mm -hmm. um, just specifically like, man, we hooked those guys up and taught them this tactic, technique, or procedure, and then they used it successfully to save lives. Uh, feels great. Same thing with medical training. Uh, and so I think I have something to offer. Um, I think that specifically as it relates to uh, the decision-making aspect of personal protection and self-preservation, um, I, I think that I've had some success in translating uh, some of the positive aspects of special operations planning uh, and basically breaking down, okay, what am I trying to achieve and then what's the best way for me to achieve it in translating that into a digestible format for the everyday citizen in the U.S. Uh, and I think that uh, that pays great dividends. I think that if you want to learn how to run a handgun fast and accurately, there's no shortage of trainers out there that can help you with that. And there's a lot of sharp trainers that can also very easily teach, you know, what I'm teaching as well as I focus on the mental aspects. But um, it's just something that I, I feel like I can add value and help keep, uh, you know, help people keep themselves safe, their loved ones safe. And frankly, it would be selfish of me. You know, I'm not trying to get rich. Uh, you know, I live a pretty simple life. Uh, but I think it would be selfish of me if I've got something that can help people not to share it. Uh, and I enjoy teaching. I enjoy helping uh, helping others. Uh, and I find it incredibly rewarding. So, so that for me is is sharing a message that'll help the everyday citizen and translating what I've learned and my experience with violent and violent situations, uh, violence and violence situations, and translating that to um, you know the way that'll help that insurance salesman from Omaha or whomever. Hmm. Well, I, that kind of touches on, and you've addressed some of the uh, next question I was going to ask you. But Sorry, I'm, not, I'm not trying to jump ahead. No, 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 not at all. But uh, what other things do you feel carry over experience-wise from your past life, professional life, to what you're what you're doing now? So the one of the interesting and unique blessings uh, that I got to experience in my career was that one of the one of the debates we have, or one of the topics that gets discussed, kind of in the applied violence community of people, you know, people that concealed carry, people that are concerned about self-protection is you will have people kind of break trainers and training up into categories where they'll say, Hey, uh, you know, that, that you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily, your instructor doesn't have to be some kind of like combat veteran, special operations guy. And I agree with that. Or he doesn't have to be some SWAT police officer. And, and people will talk about different contexts where, the, the law enforcement context is different from the military context, which is different from the, um, which is different from the uh, um, civilian context. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's hundred percent true. Um, 
But the nice thing about uh, working in U.S. Army Special Forces was that we got to do a lot of uh, deployments. Like I had nine combat deployments, but I had like six or seven others in my career that were what we call operational deployments, where you're going to a place. Like I spent my whole career in the Middle East. I was an Arabic speaker. And so in the Middle East, we would go to non-combat environments where I'm wearing civilian clothes and I'm eating at local restaurants and you know shopping at the grocery store. But there's no shortage of people who might want to ambush me, drag me into a trunk <laughs> and throw, throw the orange jumpsuit on me. And, you know, make the, make the tripod uh, beheading video. And that experience um, very much translates to the everyday mm-hmm. citizen. Like, I wasn't wearing body armor. I wasn't in an armored vehicle. I wasn't rolling around with, uh, you know, with, with dozens of my friends all the time. You know, I would have deployments where it would just be me or me and one other guy. And we might be the only Americans within 500 miles uh, for, for extended periods of time. And so a lot of what I learned and how to um, make decisions that prevented me from having to use really good gun skills or bust out heavy weaponry, uh, avoidance, deterrence, uh, recognition and early warning, uh, and just how you view the world and how you look at patterns and analyze people and crowds and public places. Uh, a lot of that stuff that I was able to get formal training on and then just practice over and over and over in these kind of uncertain environments in the Middle East where it's not combat, but it's not exactly, you know, it's not exactly safe. Uh, that's something that that like my mental agility pre- planning and preparation skills maps like mental maps. Uh, that's something that we focus on quite a bit where we get into risk assessment and then we get into uh, deliberate planning. Then we get into hasty planning and mental agility uh, recognition, prime decision making ODA cycles or OODA loops. People often often call them. Yeah, I've gotten to practice that in a reactive way, very similar to the way a citizen would have to do here in America if you live in Atlanta or Dallas or wherever. Mm. Speaking to that a little bit, what sorts of, from your, from your point of view, from your observation, uh, what sorts of mistakes do you feel like are commonly made amongst, uh, everyday civilian, you know, gun carriers? And we see plenty of examples out there that go both ways, both, uh, uh, I think ones that probably hit the media a little bit more and have a, uh, more of a, a negative connotation, uh, we've got some where maybe that th- they are generally successful and, uh, but maybe they just got lucky a little bit. And then maybe those that are a little bit more switched on and, uh, you know, kind of handle themselves a little bit more, more carefully. Uh, what are some of your observations in this regard? And, and as far as common pitfalls, mistakes, and maybe how we might avoid those. Hmm. So the common pitfalls, I think that, and this is and this is true. I think of American culture in general. Uh, we, and I include myself in this. I, I'm as guilty as anyone. We tend to be gadget people. Mm-hmm. We tend to be, you know, uh, gizmo people. We like stuff and toys. And uh, you know, you got a little. I'm sure everybody at some point or another watching this uh, watching this podcast has had some extra money and like I don't. know, It's burning a hole in my pocket. I'm gonna go buy a gun. Buy <laughs> the spotting scope or the new optic or whatever it is. We like gear. I like gear. I think uh, for a lot of people, especially folks who haven't had a lot of formal training or a lot of exposure to people who are immersed in the lifestyle. That doesn't just mean cops or soldiers or anything else, but people who really um, you know go beyond hobbyists. And there's nothing wrong with being a hobbyist or or you know just somebody who literally wants to you know what's the bare minimum I can do and live my life and keep everybody safe. But I think it's really easy to fall into you know, and I'm sure you've heard this where 
there might be uh, matter of fact, I was just talking to somebody today about my, my local community page, you know, every once in a while, something will happen in the community. Like uh, a, uh, there will be a law enforcement warning that they're searching for some fugitive and he's reported to be in this area. And I live in a very fairly rural, uh, rural area, but all of a sudden all the comments, you know, where it's like, Hey, just basically the police are saying, stay inside. The comments are all about, well, I've got my gun and I'm ready. <laughs> I'm sure the first half of that statement is true, but I don't know how, how true the second statement is. And usually I'm the one. And it's funny cause I make people angry. Cause I'll jump on there and I'll be like, Hey, listen, um, I know it's tempting if you hear a noise outside to go outside with your gun to, to, you know, like be the hero, save the day, protect your property and stuff. And I was like, I was like, one, there is a chance that it might be this armed and dangerous fugitive. And in which case I don't want any of that personally. Uh, I'm just going to stay inside and, you know, call, call the police, tell them there's somebody, you know, uh, messing around in my carport. But there's a, a probably even bigger chance that it might be a sheriff's deputy around my house looking for this guy. And the last thing I want to do is stumble out in the dark with a gun in my hand and run into a sheriff's deputy who's looking for an armed and dangerous fugitive. And so yeah. people tend to look at uh, hardware problems and ignore the software. Uh, so they'll say they have, oh, I've got a gun at home. Well, cool. Like, when's the last time you trained with it? Um, how comfortable are you using it under stress? How well do you know the law about use of force? I mean, that's obviously been in the news a lot in the last few months of like, was this a good shoot? Was it not a good shoot? Uh, and so on the one hand of avoiding shooting anybody, unless you, you know, the can, should, must people say, well, if a guy does this, can I shoot him? That's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. Um, the only time that I'm, I'm pressing the trigger is if I, if the only other alternative is I die or I'm crippled or somebody I love and am responsible for dies, dies and is crippled. So understanding the law of use of force is something that gets, uh, uh, gets ignored. And then beyond that, um, I think people, when they think through scenarios, they psychologically, and this is a big part of my maps class, they psychologically create scenarios in their head that if it goes like this and like this and like this, I'll do this and this and this, and basically, and then everybody clapped and I win. And they don't have the real honest talk with themselves where like, okay, you know, what if I point the gun at the guy and he doesn't wet his pants and run away, then what, uh, you know, people like want to hold people at gunpoint, all kinds of stuff, but they don't think through the, what I call contingencies, what the military and planning calls contingencies where this unforeseen event happens when it's not really unforeseen. Uh, mm -hmm. so I think a lot of times people will, you know, th their imagined self-defense shooting in their head is a lot more straightforward and a lot easier than what actually presents itself in real life. And I think that's a big one, uh, that people, uh, mm -hmm. that, that people fall into myself included. Mm hmm. Man, I have, to, I have to really agree with that. Uh, seriously, that, that's uh, well. If you don't mind, I, I share a please kind of a, an example from my former community. Uh, I grew up in southeast Idaho, and in the city of Idaho Falls, a few months ago, there was. Uh, and th by the way, this relates to your comment about you know what if you hear this noise outside and you go out poking around and it's a, it's a sheriff's deputy, right? Mm -hmm. And you're holding a gun in your hand. Well, that exact thing happened in Idaho Falls, Idaho, just a few months ago. They were looking for, for a guy, a fugitive in the neighborhood. An officer came upon a man in his backyard that unfortunately was dressed in a manner that was very similar to the description of the fugitive. And this man poking around in his backyard on his property, doing what was rightfully his, 
you know, right to do, uh, and holding a gun in his hand. And, you know, you got guys chasing a known felon and they got to make split second decisions. So it's that thinking ahead of like, to your point, the contingencies. Well, if I go outside, because again, it's easy to just be like, and if the bad guy's there, I've got my gun and I'm going to put an end to this. But what else are within the realm of possibilities that could happen? And that's actually one of the reasons why on our podcast, we've shared for years now stories of, you know, of basically DGU stories, defensive gun uses, both the good and the bad to help create a context for listeners that go, oh, I never, never thought of that before or never thought that could happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably one of the most valuable things is to broaden that frame of reference of what are the possibilities. So hopefully we are a little bit more hesitant to make sudden decisions that are, you know, hasty and, and, and probably not necessary to make in the first place. Yeah. And to to follow up that, if if it's, if it's okay to do so, uh, I try as best I can. And people get people like this topic we're discussing right now, people get real salty about it in various directions. Um, I don't tell people what to do. Other than like, you know, follow the law, like, you know, know, know what the law in your state says about self, you know, armed self-defense and lethal force and follow that. But beyond that, I don't tell people what to do uh, as it relates to intervention, how, how aggressive to be or not, uh, not aggressive to be. I tell people all the time, like, I don't, I don't want to teach anybody to paint by numbers um, out, outside of very specific safety rules that like, you know, if you come to one of our classes, like, hey, here's, here's the black and white rules, you will not deviate from them. But outside of safety. Uh, I try to teach people concepts and I try to teach people, you know, it's the, it's kind of like education. People talk about, you know, we can teach kids what to think or students what to think, or we can teach them how to think. Mm-hmm. And I want to teach uh, people concepts for decision-making, mm-hmm. right? Put you with these tools to where you can assess risk, uh, weigh risk versus gain, cost versus benefit. And you ultimately get to decide how much risk you're willing to assume. But I want you to do that understanding holistically what you're really facing. Because like you say, if, if the only outcome I've considered is I'm going to run outside and I'm going to shoot the armed fugitive cop killer and I'm going to save the day and I'm going to get a key to the city, uh, you know, and I'm going to get to meet the governor and you don't think about the hundred ways it can go wrong, uh, that's what I'm trying to help correct. Now, if you have studied uh, the problem carefully and you know, like something else I want to talk about uh, as far as what people oftentimes maybe miss the mark on is a sober assessment of their own skills, specifically how good are you really at any given task? And how do you know that to be true? Uh, because if anybody's ever done any martial, uh, like, like real non-consensual martial, martial arts, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu or wrestling, somebody will roll in and you think, you know, this much about fighting uh, as it relates to you know, whatever. And then you go to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym, and a person who's been there six months and you're just walking in turns you into a pretzel. <laughs> you're like, oh man, I was overconfident in my skills to roll around on the ground and grapple with people. And you know, same thing, boxing, anything, shooting, same deal. So y- you know me, and you know, we've shot on the range together a little bit. Like I know that you have a very, very precise understanding of your skill, technical skill with a handgun. Like the yeah. shots you can make. The shots you can make usually, the shots you can make sometimes, the shots that are like, eh. And so for someone like you or I, who trains like you or I, 
and I'm standing in a Walmart and I happen to have, you know, happen to have my pistol on me and I look 80 yards down the, down the way. And I see, I see the active shooter who's just like, uh, basically anchor shooting, you know, just shooting prone people on the ground. And I've got an 80 yard shot. I know out of 10, 10, 10 rounds. Uh, if I were to fight, make that shot 10 times, I know my percentage and whether or not it's advisable to take that shot. Whereas a lot of folks don't, you know, you'll, you'll, ha- you'll hear somebody like, Oh, I got a gun because, you know, I'm worried about active shooters in the workplace or whatever else. And then you get them on the range and they can't, you know, they're missing, they're missing target stand at five yards. And mm-hmm. so they don't have a, a solid understanding of their own capabilities. And in order to decide what you're going to do in situation A, B, or C, you have to have a good understanding of what you're really capable of, whether it be uh, decision-making, whether you're a high responder or a low responder, which is just kind of like the degree to which you, you respond, whether mm-hmm. you know, you're a good technical shooter, an average technical shooter, or a poor technical shooter, whether you're good at combatives, whether you're verbally agile or not. Uh, whether you're basically good at gabbing at the gas pump and trying to basically wait your turn while a guy's got a gun in your face to get the gun out, all these different components. And the more you train, the more self-awareness you build, the better off you are. Because it's easy for me to take a brand new student and be like, hey, don't ever do this, don't ever do this, don't ever do this. But what I want to do is get students to a a point of self-awareness to where like, hey, if you basically just say, look, I realize all the risks involved of like, you know, confronting an active shooter in my workplace, uh, but I am willing to risk this, this, and this, and this negative outcome, this negative outcome because of my moral sense of duty or whatever else. And you make that moral choice backed by a realistic understanding of the situation, the problem, and your own skills. Cool. That's on you. So I want to teach people concepts and how to make their own decisions and their own moral choices based on a sound framework of decision making. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching fishing versus giving fish. Precisely. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and that, that I, I identify with that as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. That's uh, very, very wise. I'd like to talk with you a little bit about your maps class. Uh, you, we, we've touched on that a little bit throughout our conversation so far uh, today. And, and uh, because of that, I'd like to just kind of, you know, give you the opportunity to s- share a little bit more uh, of what that class is really about. Um, and you know, like maybe some of the concepts, like I don't, you don't have to go deep in it and I don't want you to give away all the, uh, all the, you know, secrets, but, uh, tell us again, we've got mental agility, preparation and planning skills. Yep. Uh, what are some of the core tenets or principles of that class? Uh, so the, the issue with the, Cognitive process, the the and you know, I, I I don't really like using the term mindset because it's kind of just used and abused uh, so so broadly. But the cognitive mm-hmm. process of self preservation and approaching the problems of self preservation is really huge, broad, and very nebulous. Um, which is why I, I think, especially people who haven't been, you know, and it's not, it's not that I'm some kind of, you know, especially cool guy. I was just fortunate to be trained by a whole bunch of uh, people in a really great organization and, and kind of how to take the elephant and where do I want to take the first bite and how do I, you know, one bite at a time is how we eat the elephant. Right. Yeah. And so, so maps was my uh, idea to take the average citizen, and just dial them in on like, hey, if you're, 
you know, it could be it could be COVID. It could be some of the civil unrest we saw in 2020. Uh, it, it, it could be anything from just like, hey, I was carjacked and I didn't know what to do. And I got lucky. Uh, I got lucky. And I do think, by the way, that a, a lot of positive outcomes. Um, and we do this in the military, too, where there's a system in place and we're supposed to follow the procedure. Somebody shortcuts an aspect of the procedure and nothing goes wrong. And so we just adopt that shortcut as the way we do things now. Yeah. And that might go on for a year, five years, 10 years. And then eventually you have some catastrophe where a helicopter gets shot down or a whole bunch of dudes die. And we look back and we're like, oh, why couldn't we see that coming? So, yeah, shortcuts, you know, and shortcuts and getting lucky is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the, the maps class, taking somebody through, uh, there's, there's different components to kind of the, the cognitive process in, in the special forces world of dealing with, um, dealing with violence. And it starts with big picture, uh, deliberate study, and deliberate planning. So let's just say, you know, commander walks in the door to our team room and says, hey, you guys are going here in this many months. Well, first thing we do is start studying the heck out of the environment, the country, the problems, the social dynamics, the economic, diplomatic, military, like everything you think of about this this country, depending on what, what it is we're there to do. And um, the first soft the first special operations imperative there's kind of a list of like imperatives of stuff we're supposed to do as special operators and the first one is understand your operational environment in other words like and that doesn't just mean the tactical that doesn't just mean like how to put bullets on bad guy that means understand uh as i mentioned there's kind of an old old concept uh, that keeps getting expanded but it, but we'll just keep it simple and say dime there's like the diplomatic situation information uh military and economic considerations and understanding all that stuff. So you can basically, uh, a lot of times in ambiguous situations, we have to choose the lesser of two evils, right? Well, it helps to have really studied the environment to understand what the lesser of those two evils is. Now for the average citizen, that's me taking you through the process of what are the, what are the, 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 what do you need to know about your operational environment? Whether it be, you know, Conroe, Texas, uh, you know, north of Houston, Texas, whether it be, you know, super rural, super urban, uh, what's the political climate? What are the use of, you know, what does is, what is the law look like as far as self-defense goes? Here's all the stuff. If you're going to carry a gun, you have a legal, moral, and ethical responsibility um, to, to understand your operational environment, uh, both, both for the benefit of society and for your own benefit so you don't land yourself in hot water. Uh, then beyond that, what... <laughs> Are the real, and this is where we get to start getting into, uh, we spend a good bit on, on risk assessment and risk analysis, which is to say that one of the pitfalls a lot of people make is, is they, uh, I'll give you an example. I do, I do uh, some church security, church safety type stuff. And whenever folks show up for one of those classes, they want to talk about, you know, basically armed security team shooting the active shooter in a church. How many active shooters are there in a church in America in a given year? It's relatively low. Yeah. Uh, it's fairly low. I mean, it, when it when it happens, it makes the national news. But then I'll ask this small church in like rural Texas, you know, we'll be talking about you know guns and ammo and what ammo do you like and that kind of you know gear solutions. And I'll ask them like, hey, where's your AED, your automatic external defibrillator? And they'll look at me kind of weird. I'm like, what percentage of your your congregation is over sixty five? And usually it's a lot of them. And so yeah. they they're planning to address risks that might be very severe, but they're not very likely. And don't be wrong. I, I'm all about you know having a, a competent uh, you know armed church security team if that's something you feel like you need. But we also got to realize that like before I deal with ninjas, you know, like four dudes coming in and with plate carriers and helmets and nods, 
you know, and, 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 uh, and long guns into my Walmart or my local mall, frankly, statistically speaking, my, my self-defense shooting is probably going to be the gas station where I go every day. And a dude's going to walk up and ask me for money for gas. And then when I, you know, turn my head or, or, uh, you know, a moment's inattention, I look up and there's a shank or a gun in my face and he's demanding my wallet or my keys or whatever. And so studying your operational environment in terms of like where you live and like, what are the threats you deal with? Not only criminal threats, uh, but also your legal threats. What are your considerations? You know, if you live in San Francisco, self-defense is going to look very, very different than if you live in, you know, rural Texas or, or, uh, you know, Tennessee or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so then we get into, once you've identified what your problems are, uh, then what we call contingency planning, like, Hey, if this happens, I'm going to do this. Uh, war gaming it, which is to say poking holes in your own plan, um, you know, or having somebody else poke holes in your own plan, then getting into kind of refining your plan and what I call, uh, well, not what I call, what, what uh, the, the progenitor calls um, recognition prime decision making. So if I go to the same truck stop, you know, multiple times a week, every week, and that's probably where my, my self-defense shooting is going to be, there's certain things that I can plan out ahead of time. And I can basically say, hey, you know what? Uh, I think it's most advantageous that I'm generally going to try to use pumps on this side. And, and then if I'm going to go inside, I'm going to park over here. I'm going to take this approach. And, and uh, because, because I thought it through. And if this happens, then that. If this happens, then that. In my, my home defense class that I offer, um, you can basically say, like, okay, what are we going to do, you know, with a, with a home invasion attempt? Well, frankly, you don't need to have a contingency plan. You need to have multiple. And there's a, there's a, there's a balance between um, like overwhelming yourself with stuff to think about. But I will tell you this, there's a big difference in how I'm going to respond to somebody trying to kick in my door if I'm home alone versus when my kids are home. If it's in the middle of the night and I'm in my, I'm in my underwear um, versus middle of the daytime. Uh, a big one is if I wake up and they're already in my house, then there's going to be different tactics used than if I wake up and they're pounding on the door. And so as you start kind of slicing and, and, and I do this with folks in my class where like, well, I'll throw something at them and they'll throw out a solution. And that, then I will immediately torpedo that solution and show them why that may not work. And it's not a, it's not a gotcha game or anything else. It's specifically to get you thinking, not just about how it can go right as, and this is just the old phrase from John Johnson, my partner, um, not just think about how it can go right, but also think about all the ways that it can go wrong and do your reasonable due diligence to where you can say, okay, uh, when I lived in, uh, when I lived in Washington, um, I had a two story house and all the bedrooms were upstairs. So in the middle of the night, if I wake up, somebody's downstairs ransacking our living room or whatever, I go lock down the stairwell and whatever's downstairs, they can have it. Yeah. Everything I'm willing to kill or die for is upstairs and right behind me. And as long as they don't come up the stairs, like frankly, it's an insurance claim and, but I'm not going hunting for them. Uh, conversely now living in Texas, I live in a split floor plan where, you know, half my family is on the other side of the house. So I'm going to wake up. Uh, my wife is going to like barricade and get on the phone and, and, uh, but I'm gonna have to leave her behind and I'm not going looking for the bad guy. I'm going and looking for, uh, my kids. And if I can get to them and lock down that hallway, then again, if the dude wants my TV and I don't run into him, he can have it. Yeah. But my, my plan changed based on changing circumstances. Uh, cause a lot of people, I mean, how many times have you ever worked at a place that had a procedure or an, or, or a, a standard operating procedure, SOP in law enforcement, the military, that like somebody put it in a binder and then put that binder in a drawer and then 10 years later, something happened and you try to follow it. But you know, it basically went the way of the dot matrix printer. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you didn't <laughs> reevaluate. So I basically go from cradle to grave from deliberate planning to 
risk assessment to recognition prime decision making, and then also how to incorporate hasty planning where you're in a parking lot and a new variable pops up and, and how best to make the, you know, if you've given, got 10 seconds to make, the, make, a, make a decision that deviates from your typical plan, how to do that in the most advantageous way possible. Yeah. I know that was a lot. But. No, yeah. And there, there is so much there that, to unpack. Uh, but, you know, we obviously don't have the time in a, in a simple podcast to, to do that. And I think the point here is presenting some of those things. And I hope some of the listeners and viewers go, hmm. Maybe I should uh, think on that some more, explore this concept further, uh, that sort of thing. And that, that, that's really the point here. Uh, we'll be able to get a little bit deeper into some things in our uh, Guardian Nation Live broadcast here next week. Uh, and I look forward to that. A um, couple more things here before we start wrapping it up. <clears throat> what, uh, what sort of training do you think is absolutely essential for armed citizens in today's world? Like if you were... If you were taking somebody, maybe I'll present, maybe I'll present two, two different individuals, theoretical people. Uh, maybe the answer will be the same. Maybe it'll be a little bit different. If you were to take somebody that's like that brand new first time gun buyer, gun owner, you know, something about the riots and COVID and economical, you know, mm-hmm. struggles of the last year made them go out and think they need to do something to be a more active player in their own personal preservation. Um, <clears throat> if you were to roadmap generally, you know, a, a training plan, uh, what would that be? And if you were to be, if you were to take somebody that maybe has a little bit of training, maybe they took a concealed carry class, maybe they grown up, they've grown up around guns and shooting and they think they're generally competent, but maybe there's some things they should, uh, explore further and learn. Uh, what, you know, if you were to kind of present two uh, options there, again, they could be the same. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on some essential training that people should have on their on their roadmap? Hmm. So this is kind of going to mirror what I was talking about for the last question in terms of framing the problem, understanding the environment, yeah. uh, and then kind of beginning the, be- beginning the journey to check off um, – the most important boxes first, the starred criteria on an exam, if you will. Now, I think that uh, as as far as training, formal training, you can seek out. Unfortunately, um, somebody who was a profound influence on me is no longer with us. Dr. William April, Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. William April of uh, April Risk Consulting and part of the ShivWorks Collective uh, was a, he was a forensic psychologist, a brilliant man and a visionary. uh, And he he used to teach a, a one day seminar called Unthinkable. Uh, where he basically shared everything he'd learned about violent criminal actors uh, and how their minds work, how they ha- how they select um, you know, select targets uh, and so forth. And as far as like understanding the problem set and understanding the threat, uh, that class, which unfortunately because he's, he's he's passed away is no longer available, was what I would tell people. I'm like, look, you you need to do this before you do anything else, or stop what you're doing and go take this class. Now the good news is. Uh, that if you if you Google uh, Dr. William April uh, memorial page or tribute page, uh, there is there's a, a website that's basically collected every uh, everything he ever did, every podcast, every video series, everything. So basically, the, the sum total of all of Dr. William April's teaching about violent criminal actors, basically about what you face when you come across the the most dangerous human predators in our society, um, is is available um, for free. 
So I would tell people start there. Now I will say that you're, you're, you're going to watch his videos and, and hear his, some of his, his, uh, uh, horror stories and it's going to scare people to death and make it super paranoid. Uh, but the way we conquer that paranoia and that fear is by beginning to build confidence. Uh, beyond that, um, you know, various states have different, like it's, it's really not beneficial to discuss. Like, you know, Texas has a license to carry qualification course. That's, uh, you know, pretty good. Um, it's okay. But, but at the end of the day, safety and safe manipulation is, is the next priority. So one, you need to understand what you're facing, but then as it relates to, to firearms and, uh, firearm safety is, is number one. And so f- frankly, uh, and I try to take, um, basic level or entry level classes as often as I can for a couple of different reasons. One, I like to see how different instructors teach different stuff to make myself better. Uh, two, it helps, it helps me working alongside new shooters. Um, it helps me be a better instructor, but, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I would actually encourage somebody, whether you're brand new or you've been shooting for a while, don't neglect your, um, entry-level classes just because there's an advanced class don't automatically try to skip the basic class or or you know 101 class whatever else because there is no such thing as advanced marksmanship uh, with a pistol Uh, there's only basic marksmanship executed to perfection at increasing under increasingly difficult circumstances and so um, i will sign up for any anybody's uh, basic class uh to this day uh, and i'm happy to do so Mm -hmm. and uh Beyond that, um, achieving, and this is, this is just my opinion, but I, I, I think that identifying standards, um, objective standards of performance for yourself, and some of them that I would recommend, uh, Gila Hayes came up with what's called the 5x5 five five drill. Claude Warner has modified it to the 5x5x5 five 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 drill. Uh, it's five, yards, uh, five rounds at five yards on a five-inch circle in five seconds. Uh, you can run it from the ready. You can run it from the holster. But I generally, with my students, I try to treat that as a goal that we're working towards. And I want them to be able to do it five times in a row so it's not a fluke. Because I believe that if you can pass that drill uh, routinely and on demand and cold, you can solve 95% of your technical handgun problems you're ever going to face at the gas pump, at the Walmart parking lot, in your driveway. Uh, so the five by five drill. Beyond that, uh, the, the other one is I, I like to tell people, and, and a lot of instructors are doing this now. I've, uh, Tom Gibbons does it. Tom Gibbons also has his range master qualification. Uh, Citizens Defense Research does it. Uh, but the, the, FBI's, uh, the FBI's pistol qualification, is it's, you know, it's open to the public. You can Google FBI pistol qualification. And the benefit there is it's a nationally recognized standard. And so if you're training to that nationally recognized standard, not only does it, it, it does actually have you work skills that are applicable to self-defense shootings, but it's also something that as you, if you ever go into court before a shooting and you know the prosecutor tries to c- call your competence into a uh, uh, question and you have documented, like, here's me on video with someone else grading my target and I scored 100% on the FBI call, which qualifies me to be an FBI firearms instructor. That's fairly unassailable in a court of law. Uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, there's guys like uh, John Murphy has an amazing um, class that uh, I haven't actually haven't had a t- gotten a chance to take it yet, uh, but I've seen enough of it that uh, John Murphy runs a class that's really really good. Uh, but then beyond the, if you can pass a five by five by five drill, and if you can pass eighty percent on the FBI call, I would encourage you to start looking at some of the courses that that uh, focus on force on force and decision making. And this isn't something you've got to delve into and just do all the time. But I'll tell you, it's one thing to stand on a flat range and shoot to a certain level of performance. It's another when you start adding the cognitive load on, okay, I have my gun in my hand, but this person is yelling at me. What are they yelling at? me? 
uh, and good force on force training. Uh, you know, I'm uh, somebody that I look up to and respect and I've learned a lot from guys like, uh, you know, Craig Douglas uh, from Shivworks, Cecil Birch, guys like that. Go train with those guys. It'll be challenging. It'll be, it'll humble you. I get humbled every time I go. Uh, but it's a whole nother deal when you've got to leverage a, a handgun technically, maybe, or maybe you don't. Maybe it's not a shooting problem and you get your gun out and you're running your 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 gun, your simunitions gun and force on force training. And then after the fact, you're like, I wonder what that guy was yelling at me. Mm-hmm. And it's actually something that should have precluded you from shooting him to begin with. So um, I realize that that's somewhat broad advice as opposed to just take this class, take this class, take this mm-hmm. class. But again, understanding the problem generally uh, and then achieving enough technical ability to be able to pass a five by five by five drill uh, and the FBI call and then getting into force on force and kind of stress testing your verbal skills, your mental skills, um, your movement skills, shooting under stress as opposed to just standing on a flat range and that kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. No, no, and that's, that's perfect. You know, like I said, in a general sense, just kind of giving some, uh, some food for thought as far as a, a, a rough roadmap to, guide your thought processes with and in terms of selecting your training and uh, making sure that it fits your needs, what you need the most right now. Like that's, that's really key. It really is. By the way, uh, I am going to post in the show notes of this episode, uh, a couple of links, one to that uh, Dr. William April Memorial page and the other, an article that David Yamane uh, just published a couple months ago that does something similar and just has a bunch of links and things. Uh, so I, that, that'll be good, I think, for viewers and listeners to uh, go yeah. check out. Yep. So we'll, we'll make sure those those links are in the show notes of this episode. Uh, okay, so we've kind of you know, we're getting close to hitting the hour mark and I promised to only take an hour of your time, Chris, and, and we so appreciate it. Uh, again, I look forward to spending another 90 minutes with you next week, but, uh, as we wrap this up, what would be kind of some, you know, this could be anything. It could be totally unrelated to what we've talked about so far today. Uh, but what would be maybe some parting words or thoughts or ideas you'd like to leave with the viewers and listeners? Hmm. So, Incidentally, all this other stuff we've talked about, um, one of the one of the things that I think surprises people, especially coming from a, a you know a, a crusty old army vet, uh, you know, this is a little touchy feely. But frankly, some other stuff that we need to be doing uh, that helps us enhance our own self, not only our own self preservation, but also just helps in, uh, helps us enjoy life, is I think a lot of times people either worry or they observe in their own lives that they, this lifestyle, this kind of a concealed carry lifestyle, armed citizen lifestyle leads them to like paranoia and being suspicious and hostile to people. And actually I find the exact opposite. When you actually train to a point of real competence and real competence, um, it allows you to, uh, to enjoy the world and enjoy people a little bit more because basically I don't walk around afraid that somebody's going to like tune me up all the time. So I know I can handle myself that comes to that. But specifically, if you want to increase your own personal security, one of the best things you can do is read like win friends and win friends and influence people uh, and learn how to get along with folks. Cause so many, especially like these high profile, you know, uh, shootings and stuff that we see and so many of them start out over just ego and people like this guy was rude to this guy. And next thing you know, they both escalate and uh, you know, now there's a, a national news story. And so what I would encourage people to do is also uh, look at manners and respect and decorum as another layer of security for yourself 
uh, specifically as it relates to, and that doesn't mean letting people push you around or I'm not telling you to, to be a doormat. Uh, but specifically, if you ever meet me in real life, hopefully you will be surprised by how friendly uh, and respectful I am because, uh, and not only that, but I think it's an antidote to kind of the social media snark uh, and cynicism that we throw at one another and all the sarcasm and insults and everything else online. Basically, uh, you know, it's the it's the Rogers rule of masculinity. Somebody tweeted about this and it became a meme on the internet. Uh, and and it doesn't have to be masculinity. It can apply to men or women. If If Fred Rogers or Steve Rogers wouldn't do it, then you shouldn't either. Fred Rogers, of course, being Mr. Rogers and Steve Rogers being Captain America. Yep. And so I think a lot of times um, we tend to get in, like people ad adopt this tough guy persona because that's how it should be. And, and in fact, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I try to be formidable so I can be kind to people and so I can show people respect. And frankly, it's enhanced my life tremendously as I've, I've come to enjoy people a whole lot more and not trying to compensate for insecurity or inadequacy by acting like a tough guy. So I, I would just encourage everybody as you pursue this lifestyle um, that increased situational awareness that you build, use it to spot awesome stuff like the elderly couple sitting on a park bench who's been married for 70 years or the adorable toddler in Walmart and, and, and steal those moments of joy for yourself and try to enjoy life a little bit more uh, thanks to all the awareness and competence and confidence that you've built. Wise words. Absolutely. Appreciate the those those parting thoughts for us, Chris. Again, folks, uh, you can find uh, Chris at AmplifiedBeing.com citizensdefenseresearch.com uh, and yeah, check him out, check out his resources, uh, read his stuff. It's good stuff. I, I promise you, I, I've enjoyed reading any number of articles on your blog, Chris. So uh, keep up the great work and I uh, wish you the best of success in your upcoming class this weekend and future classes as well. And I could tell by some of the comments we're receiving on uh, Facebook and YouTube here today, folks are appreciating uh, this content. So if you enjoy this content and more content like it, well, we hope to see you back here uh, on the, on the concealed carry podcast. And uh, yeah, um, that's about all I got. I do want to remind you that guardianation.com is a place to uh, take a look at and consider joining. If you want to be a part of our live Q and a, uh, broadcast with Chris Seipert next Wednesday evening. That'd be the, uh, I think the 15th of December at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Hope to see many of you there as well. Come prepared with your questions and and uh, Chris will do his best to give his answers. <laughs> so until then, Chris, I seriously appreciate you so much for your time and everything you do. You're doing good work, brother. And, uh, you know, I love seeing guys like you that have already served this country, uh, very much selflessly and have given so much of your physical and mental uh, well-being to, you know, fight for our, our rights and our nation and the rights of, and liberties of others as well. And then yet you come home here and continue contributing in a positive way to the lives of others. So uh, uh, we, we appreciate you very much. All right. It was my, it was my pleasure. Hopefully everybody got something out of it. Absolutely. I know they did. I know they did. So guys, until next time, be good out there and a reminder to train right, train safe, and train, or hold on, train right, train often, and train safe. I messed up my own motto. <laughs> train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.